0: All right, hey guys, welcome to Pursuing Jesus podcast. We're on episode 15. My name is Shane Winnings, and I want to thank you for joining. This episode is titled Unpacking Calvinism and TULIP, which is the five main points, core foundational beliefs of Calvinism. As always, I want to thank you for listening. You guys are the reason that we're still going. You're the reason that we're putting this content out. And because of you and your listening, your streaming, you're sharing, following the podcast, subscribing, and most importantly, rating and reviewing the podcast. That is why we are ranked in the top 50 out of 92,000 spiritual podcasts. So I want to thank you so much. And I want to invite you to partner with us monthly. You know, my wife and I, our schedule this year is really picking up. I have some exciting news. I just got asked to be the main speaker at a giant uh, music festival with over 10,000 people that are going to be there. I was going to be a tent speaker, which is was an honor in itself that anyone would ask me to speak anywhere, but they just told me that the founder wants to have me as a main speaker on the main stage preaching to over 10,000 people the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm blown away, but we can only do these things because of you. I don't get a paycheck. We're unpaid missionaries. And so I've been inviting people to consider sponsoring us and sponsoring this podcast This year, like I said, we have over 30 ministry opportunities available. And we're going to be doing a lot of traveling as a family. And the family is not always covered. My travel is not always covered. And um, we are looking for 100 partners to join us with just a small gift of $5 a month. It might not seem like a lot to you, but it really means a lot to us. And it will enable us to carry out this wild life and this schedule that we're on to see the gospel preached nationwide and activate people to go to the corners of the earth and preach the gospel. So consider partnering with us through my website, shanewinnings.com. Just click give, and you can go to our modern day page and and support with $5 a month, or on Anchor, you can support this podcast or anywhere you're streaming. If you go to the description, it'll say support this podcast, and you can elect to give a gift of $5 a month if you feel led by the Lord. And of course, make sure you follow, subscribe, subscribe. And the big thing is this, turn on notifications or hit the bell, and that will update you whenever I post a new episode. Okay, so let's get into it. Now listen, I'm not a theologian, but I am capable of doing research. I've listened to some incredible speakers, I've dug into the Word, and I've come up with some notes about Calvinism. And I first want to say this. A lot of people will say, you're either a Calvinist or Arminianist or whatever. I'm not any of those things. I'm a Christian. And John Calvin and and, and the founder of Arminianism, they were students of Christ from the 1500s. And I, too, am a student of Christ. And so I'm going to let him be my teacher. I'm going to learn from a lot of different people. I love different preachers and teachers. I take something from every single one. I've taken things from Calvinist preachers. I've taken things from many different doctrines and... I submit them all to the Lord, and that is how I create my theology. And so I want to start by saying that. I'm not here to pick a fight with any Calvinist. I'm not hating on Calvinists. Um, I just want to unpack what is Calvinism truly. I I briefly touched on it in my previous episode, but I'm going to dive into TULIP, which is the five fundamental beliefs of Calvinism, and I'm going to explain why I, I don't agree with it. And I want to start by saying this. Every theological belief you have must be consistent with the nature of God in the bible you cannot have a belief that goes against the very nature of God and so that's very important when you're trying to determine what is my theology what do i believe it must con- it must parallel it must be consistent with the nature of God your belief can't go against that nature And there are areas of our belief that it's not black and white. It's not cut and dry. You fall back on God's character. You fall back on God's nature. And as always, seek wise counsel and go to the Word. So let's get into TULIP. The T, it stands for total depravity. That means that we are so depraved that we can't even choose Christ. Basically, God chooses us to choose Him we don't play a part because we're too depraved now i don't i don't believe that because that takes our responsibility out of choosing god that basically no matter what we do either we're going to be the ones who are chosen to choose him or we're not now we do all have a sin nature that makes us enemies of god and hostile in our wicked works and the ways that our mind works that's colossians 121 and romans 323 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But, Romans 5.8, God loves us so much that He sent His only Son, and He demonstrated that love, that Christ would die for us even while we were still sinners. And He's given us the free will to accept Jesus Christ, and I'm going to show that through the Scriptures, not my opinion, over these next points. So, I reject the idea of total depravity that we don't choose God but we actually choose God because he first chose us. We get to choose him as a response of the overflow of love and the revelation that he's real and he really loves us, which he first loved us, and that's what causes us to choose him. Now, the you in TULIP, unconditional election. Basically, this means that God chose some people to go to heaven, and that leaves everybody else to be damned to hell. Now I've said God chooses people to go to hell and some people say, no, God doesn't do that. He just chooses who goes to heaven. Well, that's that's a weak argument because if you're only choosing people to save, then you are damning everybody else. You're leaving them to be damned. And so let's get into it. 2 Peter 3, 9. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would be saved. He's not willing that any... Look up the definition of that word. It means any should perish, but that all would be saved. Now, these kind of words are going to be so important, and I've got a ton. I probably have 30 or 40 scriptures that I'm going to be quoting that you can get an idea of God's character, the character of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I only do what he does. I only say what he says. That's incredibly important because Jesus... Is the expressed image of an invisible God. Jesus shows us what God is like. And the Bible says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so if we want to know what the Word looks like, we look at the life of Jesus Christ. Now, God is the same God, Old Testament and New, but the perspectives of God are very different. They didn't have Christ, they didn't have a teacher, they didn't have, they, they, God spoke through the prophets, and he spoke through signs, but now in the in the latter days, he's spoken through his Son and revealed the mysteries to us by his Spirit. And so we can't simply look at the Old Testament and say, well, this is what God is like, and this is what God it's like. We must have an entire scope of the Bible in mind when we look at the character of God, but it has been made clear that Jesus is the expressed image of an invisible God. And... We need to look unto him to know further of what God is like. So God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would be saved. Honestly I think that verse is enough, but let's keep going. God wants the gospel preached to all nations, Matthew twenty four fourteen, Mark sixteen, fifteen, John one twenty nine. Listen, what kind of God would want the gospel preached to the whole world, but then not give everyone the ability to choose him? It doesn't make any sense. You can hear my little boy maybe crying in the background. This is real life, guys. I'm not a I don't have a picture perfect life, but honestly, hearing my boy cry is perfect to me. I'm so thankful I have a son. Second Corinthians 5, 19, 19 through 20. Christ reconciled the world to himself, not imputing sin against them. So he reconciled the whole world to himself. Not imputing sin against him. That's twofold there. Christ reconciled the world. He reconciled the whole world, not the elect, not the chosen, the world. And furthermore, He did not impute sin against the world. Second Corinthians 5:19 through20. Why would God plead with us to be reconciled with Him if it wasn't possible for everyone? That would be sick and twisted. Come to me all you who are weary. And I will give you rest unless, of course, you were not the elect, in which case I will turn you away. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. Christ has already paid for the whole world. If he hadn't, then he would have to die again. Now, here's a crazy point. I never thought of this. And this is a strong statement. I heard this said from Pastor Robert Morris of Gateway Church in Dallas. People do not go to hell because of sin. I want you to think about that. Now I'm going to flip to the verse. That might be a strong statement. You're going to say, well, how could that be? Listen to this. People don't go to hell because of sin. Here's what John 3.36 says. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Does it say he who is without sin? No. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Does it say, he who does not have sin shall see life? No. It says, he who does not believe will not have life. This is crazy. Listen to this. People don't go to hell because of sin. Jesus paid for sin. He paid for the sin of the world. It's never a question if someone's sin is paid for. If someone says, has my sin forgiven? The answer is Yes. Do you believe it? John 3.36, those are important words to know. It is your belief or your unbelief that your sin has been paid for. Sin is no longer the issue. It's been paid for. Everyone's been paid for. This is why it's so easy to preach the gospel, because the work is done. Now it's about belief, and belief is our choice. If God made it possible for us to believe to not believe, then that goes against his very nature. Why would he put so much emphasis on belief through the scriptures if it wasn't possible for some of us to believe? It doesn't make any sense. Now we're at the L, limited atonement. Basically, this is what this means. Jesus died only for the elect that God chose. As we've said before, there's too many scriptures that say that he sent his son for the world and Jesus died for all. Here's an important term, once for all. It's in a couple different places, but Hebrews 7.27, Jesus died once for all. Hebrews 9.12, he entered the most holy place once for all, has attained eternal redemption. He did it one time, and he did it for everyone. He never has to do it again. He's died for all. He's entered the most holy place and attained eternal redemption for all. Jesus did not just die for an elect group, but for all. Now, here's a big one. I wrote a lot of notes on this. The I in TULIP is irresistible grace. This is what it means. Those who are chosen cannot resist the grace of God. That means that if you are the elect... There's nothing you could do to resist the grace of God. You will become a Christian. I don't believe this at all. People can absolutely resist the grace of God. Look at the Bible. Look at people who were with Jesus. There were people who saw miracles. They saw the dead raised. They received invitation to follow him, and they resisted. What's That's, that's cool, but let's look at the scriptures. Is there biblical proof that people have resisted God? Acts 7.51, he says, You always resist the Holy Spirit, people have resisted God. Matthew seven twenty four through 26, whoever hears these saying and does them or does not do them, this is what Jesus was talking about, whoever hears these sayings and does them is like a wise man, whoever doesn't do them is like a fool. Why would he say that if you didn't have a choice? Whoever hears these sayings and does them, you have an ability, you have a choice to do them. Whoever hears these sayings and doesn't do them is like a fool. It doesn't say unless, of course, you were predetermined, predestined to choose or not choose. Unless, of course, you were sovereignly chosen by God to do them or not chosen to do them. It doesn't say that. You have a choice. Here's another one. Matthew 10, 32 Whoever denies me or confesses me before men is denied or confessed before the Father. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what the verse means. If you deny me before man, I deny you before my Father. If you confess me before man, I confess you before my Father. Well, why would he even say that? Why would he give us the choice to deny or confess or to reject? Jesus says you have the choice. You have the ability. You can confess God or you can deny him. It's not predetermined. It's not all worked out. Let me ask you this. How many unsaved or wavering people do you know that have seen the incredible grace and miracles and answered prayers of, of, of wild things from God and still resisted Him and aren't born again? How many do you know? Think about this. In your life, I can think of people that have prayed and said, if God does this, then I'll believe. If I see this, if this happens, that's what will make me believe. And it happens. And they write it off or they go, wow, that was crazy. And they're still not born again. You see, we have the ability to resist him. Pride, not God, keeps us from submitting to him. God doesn't keep us from submitting to himself. He does not predestine us to reject him. It is our own pride. Look at the Pharisees. They saw all the miracles, they knew who he was, but because of pride, they refused to admit it and they tried to prevent Jesus from doing anything further and they eventually killed him. That was their own heart. We all have a choice. Look at Pharaoh. This is a common argument in a Calvinistic belief. Pharaoh's heart was hardened by God. It says that in the Bible, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, did you know that like the first eight or nine times, Pharaoh hardened his own heart? That was Pharaoh's decision. And the Bible even says that we can harden our own hearts, we can turn away, we can numb the voice of the Holy Spirit so much that we become beyond the point of repentance. That's wild. And when I preach, when I give an altar call, I often say that I say, Listen, if your heart is even 1% softened, even 1% feeling like you need to be up here giving your life to Christ, it's not too late for you. You need to come forward right now. And I tell people, I say, listen, you don't know when you'll hear the gospel again. You don't know if you'll ever get to hear the gospel again. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. This could be your last chance. What if, if tonight you say no, you have become hardened to where you could never repent again because you have turned yourself off to God so many times. But tonight or today, if you have even 1% inside of you that feels like you should be up here, that feels like you need to live for God, it's not too late for you and you must act on that. The Bible doesn't say today is the day of salvation, but now is the time. And you would not believe how many people come forward when I give that second altar call. I give that after the first one. And that's because there are people sitting there that are Wrestling or saying, I don't want to submit to God. I'm not ready for this. And when they hear, man, you could harden yourself so much to God that one day it'll be too many times you'll never be able to say yes to him again. Because you can't just come to God whenever you want. The Bible says that that God will draw you by his spirit. And when you hear the gospel, the spirit draws you and convicts you and says, go give your life to Christ. And people say no. This was the story with Pharaoh. God gave him eight or nine or ten times to repent. But God has foreknowledge. That doesn't mean he predestines. That means he knows what's going to happen. He knew that Pharaoh would never give God what he wanted. So it says that he allowed Pharaoh to be put in this place so that God could be seen through this whole story, that God's goodness could be seen. It doesn't say that God made Pharaoh like this and then raised him up. It says God allowed Pharaoh to get where he got because he knew this guy is never going to say yes to me. And so what the enemy is going to try to use for bad to enslave my people, I'm going to flip it on its head and I'm going to give this guy Moses the ability to lead his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. So did the Lord raise up Pharaoh? Yes, yes knowing that he was prideful and would not receive him, but he used the work of the enemy to benefit his own people. God didn't make Pharaoh resist him. He offered him like 10 chances to repent, and he still resisted. Go look it up. Pharaoh hardened his heart towards God. Pharaoh hardened his heart towards God. Pharaoh hardened his heart towards God. And you know what Calvinists do and some people? I'm not lumping all Calvinists in. I'm just saying people that I've talked to. They only talk about the one time, it says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. They don't talk about the first nine times where Pharaoh hardened his own heart. It's called reprobation. Pharaoh got himself to the point where he would never say yes to God. It didn't matter if he had 50 chances. He was never going to say yes to God. Check this out. Even Jezebel gets a chance to repent. Even the fallen churches in Revelation get a chance to repent. You see, it's God's nature that none shall perish. He gives them a chance to repent. That's who he is. We have a choice. You have a choice. Finally, the P in TULIP is perseverance of the saints. This means that if you're chosen, you will persevere no matter what. This again, it takes out personal responsibility of following Jesus. If you're always going to persevere and it doesn't matter what, then why does the Bible say to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? If it's already predestined and predetermined, then why would you even do that? Why would it say you work out your salvation with the fear and trembling of the Lord? Paul says that God can keep what Paul has committed to God, meaning his faith, Second Timothy one twelve. We bring our faith in God to God and he preserves us. I believe in preservation of the saints, where we give our faith as weak as it might be to God and he preserves us. He moves upon our faith in our weakness. He is made strong, not we are predestined and we persevere no matter what. That takes the fight out of a Christian. Why would he give us a sword? Why would he give us spiritual armor? Wouldn't it be like the devil to get us to lay down our armor and get rid of our will to fight because, hey, everything's predestined. Whatever will be, will be, and it's all going to work out. I'm going to finish with a bunch of verses. I got these from Robert Morris, and these are incredible. When we're talking about the elect, listen to these verses. Matthew sixteen twenty-five. Whosoever. It means... Anyone, whoever, this is the word we're going to be using. Whosoever, Matthew sixteen twenty five. Whosoever will save their life will lose it, but whosoever loses their life for my sake is going to find it. Mark eight thirty four. Whosoever will come after me, I am going to paraphrase, and I am only going to use bits and pieces of the verses because you, one, you can go look them up. I am telling you where they're at, but two, I am making a point here. Jesus is saying, and the, and, and the writers are saying, whosoever. Acts 2.21 Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts 10.43 Whosoever believeth in him shall receive the remission of sins. Romans 10.13 Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Revelation 22.17 Whosoever will come, let him take the water of life freely. John 3.16 Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It means whoever. These points of Calvinism go against the very nature of God, and there may be several scriptures that we can pick and choose and fit in to believe that TULIP is accurate, but it is not. It goes against God's nature. One, that none shall perish. Two, that he is long-suffering and that he gives everyone a chance to repent. And three, that Christ came for all. He came for the whole world and we have the ability to believe or not believe in him. Listen, you determine your eternity. The work on God's end to save you has been done. Now it's up to you to believe. So do you believe? Listen, I wanna thank you for listening. Share this. This is a big topic and a lot of people are worried that they are not the chosen or what. I want them to know that God came for all through His Son, Jesus Christ. So please share this. Like this podcast. Like this episode. Give it a rating. Give it a review. Go on Apple and leave us a written review. It means a lot. I want to tell you about my book. I have a paperback and an e-book out. It's called I Will Always Overcome. It's only $10 on Amazon. It is a nine-week devotional that is designed to, to grow your faith and uproot fear, worry, anxiety, depression, whatever it is. It will build your faith. Go read the reviews. They speak for themselves. faithiu.edu. That is where you can learn about an incredible Bible college, Faith International University. You can go to school at your own pace. You can get a degree from an accredited Bible college. They have bachelor's, master's, a doctoral program. And one of my best friends is the vice president and the dean of students. And so go to faithiu.edu or click the link on my bio, and you should be able to find it on there, and click request more information. You can go to school online. You can do it at your own pace, especially if you have a busy life. It's incredible to be able to schedule your own classes and your own homework. On September 3rd, my mission group, One Voice Student Missions, is teaming up with Lou Engle, who is a legend in the faith, and Upper Room. We are gathering 50,000 youth and parents for a free event. We are meeting in Frisco, Texas, and it's going to be historic. Why do I say that? Well, one, we're calling on 1,000 youth and parents from each state to represent their state to come and plead in the heavens on behalf of America that we would see prayer and God put back into schools. 60 years ago, the courts took it out. We are contending for it to be put back in. You can check that out at events.genzforjesus.com or go to the link in my bio. And finally, you can follow me on socials, Instagram and TikTok at shane.winnings. I only have one account and I will never DM you asking for money. And you can find me on YouTube at Shane. winnings. And finally, I'm going to pray for healing as I always do. If you have any issues in your body... I want you to just hover your hand over that issue and we're going to pray now. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that you love this person and you paid the price for their healing and for their salvation on the cross. And right now in Jesus' name, I command every sickness, every infirmity, every disorder, every disease, every bit of pain to leave in Jesus' name. I say, body, be healed right now for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen.